Well, communion really is a wonderful way for us to start the new year. We've just come out of a season of celebrating and anticipating, looking forward to the birth of Jesus. And now we get to remember and reflect on the reason why Jesus had to come. That he would have to sacrifice himself for us so that we could be made right before God. And so it is a wonderful way to begin a new year with that kind of a a reflection and a remembrance. Having celebrated him and now thinking of what he has done for us. My name is Chris Corbin. (laughs) It's not Rick. (laughs) But hey, you know what? Rick is a wonderful name and I love Rick. And so if I get to be called Rick and... uh, it is a blessing. So, what's that? You'll live it down sometime. I won't bring it up again for a little while. <coughs> but I do have the privilege of serving here as the pastor, and, uh, and I know that I would speak for, for Maria and for Robin when we do say thank you. Um, it is a gift to be able to serve this church and this family, and... Uh, we, we really see it as a privilege and an honor um, to be able to walk alongside you and to serve you in so many different ways. So, so thank you. And so for those of you who are new or visiting with us this morning, we welcome you. We're glad that you came, um, that you're with us. And I want to also wish you a Happy New Year. You've been wished a Happy New Year a few times, um, but Happy New Year. It's a wonderful year. It's a great opportunity Uh, We're not only celebrating a new year, we're celebrating a new decade. Um, Amanda was reading something on Facebook for me not too long ago that said if you were born in the 80s, you've lived through a whole bunch of stuff. Um, You've already lived through two two millennia and a whole bunch of decades. And and I was beginning to think as I was sitting at the back with, with Gordon and Chris earlier and I was commenting on my age and I'm not quite 40, I'm, I'm still only 38. And I began to say, like, I'm starting to get old. And Gord said, well, watch it. <laughs> You're not old. And it's true. And I, so I think of all the amazing things that people have had the privilege of celebrating and experiencing the lives that we've been given. And so to think that we get to enter into a new year and a new decade is truly a blessing from God. I also wonder how many of you guys did anything spectacular for, for New Year's Eve? Maybe it wasn't spectacular. Maybe it was just a party. How many of you, okay, how about this? How many of you stayed up till midnight? Did anyone, wow. Man, I am suddenly feeling even older. (laughs) We didn't make it to midnight. We made it to about 11 o'clock and we were done. How many of you guys made New Year's resolutions or maybe instead of a resolution, you set a goal for the coming year? A few of you. Some of you don't want to admit it because maybe you've already broken it. Our family for New Year's Eve, we actually got to spend a little bit of time. We went out near Coburg um, to spend New Year's Eve with some friends. And uh, we had a lot of fun. And if you remember, New Year's Eve was the night where we got all the snow, like the only snow that we've had for a little while. And so our kids were ecstatic because they've been wanting to have like snowball fights. They've been wanting to go sledding and there wasn't enough to go sledding, but we certainly had enough snow for a snowball fight. And so we had a snowball fight 
and we had pizza with our friends. And then as the kids kind of settled into the other room, they began to play and they began uh, to watch some movies. Us adults sat around the table and we just had a good time of fellowship and talk. And as we sat there talking, somehow we got on to the topic of James Earl Jones. You know the voice of Darth Vader? We know who James Earl Jones is. Field of Dreams, that's where it stemmed from. But somehow we, we got onto this conversation, well, is James Earl Jones even still alive? And it took everything that was within me not to pick up my phone that was sitting on the table and to Google it. You see, I have become one of those people, if I don't know something, I need to know the answer. And so my first response and my best friend in all of the world really is becoming Google because I will pick up my phone and my wife gives me a hard time for it because I will, I will search anything. And so that night I didn't. I didn't pick up my phone. I didn't search James Earl Jones. But I'm going to throw my wife under the bus because she did. So I got my answer without ever having to figure it out. So Amanda picked up my phone and she Googled it, but it was good. Something that I've learned about myself over the past few years is that I, I have this combination of character traits and we get to know each ourselves as we grow and as we experience life. And hopefully you kind of have figured out some of these character traits about yourselves. But I have this, this combination of character traits that can be really, they can be highly favorable given the right context, or they could be a combination of, of character traits that could really lead to my demise. And the combination that I have is that I am, one, a bit obsessive. And the other one is, is that I have a need to know the answer. I am a knowledge like specialist. I want to learn. I want to know. I don't have to go to school. I just need to know information. I don't like being in a room and not knowing enough about something to have a conversation with anyone that's in the room. And that's a little bit unnerving at times, I will be honest, but that's a little bit of who I am. And why I say that this can be a real favorable trait is that in some circumstances, in some situations, if I find something that I'm really interested in learning about, I will put my whole heart and soul into learning about it. I will spend hours upon hours upon hours researching and digging into it. Sometimes to the frustration of my family and to my wife, and I will sit there and I'm just going into it. I want to learn. I want to know every little detail that I can. And the downside to this is the same thing. And that if I find something that I'm interested in, and sometimes it's not even something I'm interested in, it's just something in the moment that catches my attention, I can spend hours upon hours upon hours researching and trying to figure out more information about whatever it is that I need to know. Now, in some people, this combination of obsessive traits uh, is actually a good thing. Uh, you will see that there is this similar obsessive drive in people who reach the highest levels of their industries. The people who are at the top of their field, whether it's athletes, whether it, it, it's musicians who are performing, whether it's business, whether it's science, whether it's the arts, 
any field you can imagine, those who have reached the top, those who have, who have climbed to the pinnacle are typically those who are obsessive about their field. They are the ones who want to know everything. They are the ones who go all in, who give their entire lives to the pursuit of that industry, to that field. So they are the athletes that dedicate themselves, who, who commit hours upon hours, who live and breathe, who watch video game tape of the games, who, who go out and they practice when no one else is practicing. It's the entrepreneurs who are looking for every single opportunity that they can. It's the artists who spend hours upon hours honing their crafts, who practice, who crimple up the, the sketches and toss them in the garbage because it's not quite good enough. And let's start again. Those who want to get far will find themselves working and studying. They find themselves breathing and living whatever it is that they're pursuing. It is what they have given their whole lives to. In the first lines of his book, The Knowledge of the Holy, A.W. Tozer says this. He says, What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And I want you just to think about that for a moment. That, that, that struck me as I was reading it not too long ago. And it's come up in a number of readings. Other authors have been quoting it as well. And so I was, as I was reading this, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. The reason why this is the most important thing about us is because ultimately what we believe about God will affect and determine how we live our lives. The Apostle John knew this. And I have, I've been reading and I've been loving the, the Apostle John and, and his words to us and his gospel. But John understood what it meant when, when A.W. Tozer was saying that we need to think rightly about who God is. Because it will impact the way we live our lives. If you were here last week, and, and I know a number of you weren't here, but, and so last week we, we did a, a contemplative study on John chapter 15. The idea was not to go deeper into our knowledge of the scripture, but just to spend time in God's word. And we looked at John 15. And what I shared with you is that there's a difference between the gospel of John and, and the other three gospel writers. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they sort of wrote their Gospels as a, a first-hand account of, of what was happening, the life, life of Jesus as it was sort of happening, as they were encountering it and experiencing it. The Gospel of John is still a very first-hand account of, of Jesus' life. John was there. In fact, John refers to himself as the beloved disciple, and, and we know that in the upper room, before the Last Supper, John was the one who was laying his head on Jesus' chest. And so John's account is very much first town, but John writes from a more reflective standpoint. You see, John has actually taken most of his life to reflect on the words and the actions of Jesus. His gospel is written near the end of his life. And so John has, in fact, lived and breathed Jesus. 
He has endured hardships and trials, and every moment of his life was lived in response to Jesus. And so we find ourselves in a place where John begins to write at the, at the, at the end of all of this, where he's taken all of this time to, to think about what he has experienced, what he has encountered in Jesus, the truth that he has learned. He's thought long and hard about it. This is not just an off-the-cuff whim that John says, I'm going to write about Jesus. He takes time to consider what is it that the people need to know. And so he begins to write about Jesus, and, he, and his writing has a clear purpose. As you read through the Gospel of John, you're going to find that G John is pointing to Jesus in a very clear manner. He has some very clear things he wants you to understand about who Jesus is and why he came. And John doesn't waste any time in getting to the heart of it. This morning it was already read for us, and I'm going to read it for us again in John chapter 1. But John dives right in. He doesn't waste time like you do at the beach, slowly wading into the water, allowing your body to adjust. Luke gives us this beautiful, wonderful account of Jesus' birth. The story of uh, the account of the angels appearing to Zechariah and to Mary, the, the appearing of Jesus or the angels before the shepherds and, and them coming. But John jumps right in. John opens his gospel by saying this. He says, In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Now, a pop quiz for you. Who is John talking about? You don't have to whisper it. You can shout it out. Jesus. Of course John is talking about Jesus. But if you were just reading John's gospel, if for the very first time you were ever given John's account of Jesus' life and you had no church history, no church background, how would you know that John is talking about Jesus? And yet, this is something that is of significant importance, that John wants you to know that Jesus was the Word. If you continue reading, he will eventually name him as Jesus. But his very first introduction to us is Jesus is the Word. John doesn't start by saying, in the beginning was Jesus. And Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God. But he sets the stage for this very important message that he is wanting us to know. This is who Jesus is. In fact, John is the only person who refers to Jesus as the Word. There are a number of reasons why we can look at that. We can, we can study, in fact, there's whole books that are written on why we call Jesus the Word of God. But as we've come out of a season of Advent and as we've celebrated Christmas, I thought maybe that would be a good place for us to start 
to, to reflect on it from that perspective. And so if you remember, Advent and Christmas was this celebration. It was this anticipation and this looking forward to the arrival of Jesus. The people that the New Testament is writing about were people who had not yet encountered Jesus. They had not encountered God. They were waiting for God. As was mentioned before, the Israelites, when they were in, the, in slavery to Egypt, waited 400 years for God to speak and for God to act. And for more than 400 years, the people of Israel were waiting again for God to speak and for God to act. God had been silent for 400 years and seemingly there had been no voices. They had not heard from him. They had not seen him. And yet the people of God continued to remain faithful. They continued to wait. They continued to serve. They continued to hope that God would move. This Sunday is what's called Epiphany Sunday and it's actually tomorrow that is the day of Epiphany. And the day of Epiphany is the day where we actually celebrate within the church the revelation of who God is. We celebrate how God made himself manifest and revealed himself to the Gentiles as the incarnate God in Jesus Christ. It's a time when we celebrate or we remember the the wise men coming and laying their gifts at Jesus' feet. But it's this day when we remember that Jesus is God's word to us. And this is what John picks up on. He kind of has the same Christmas story that Luke does, but just in a completely different way. The people had been waiting for God to speak and waiting for him to move. And John says, all of a sudden, here is the voice of God. Here is God moving. Here is God speaking. And it wasn't just a word. The Jewish people had heard a word before. They had, they had had the prophets who had spoken the word of God. You can look it throughout the scriptures, the prophets Isaiah, Jeremiah. All of these men who have come and who have served and who have given the words of God, who have heard from God and have spoken it out to the people. This, all of a sudden, is completely different. This is the word. This is the fullness of God's voice coming and being revealed. By calling Jesus the word, John is telling us that God is speaking in and through the life of Jesus. He is moving and he is acting. He is revealing himself in his fullness through Jesus. And so therefore, Jesus is God's word to us. As I was thinking about that, there, there's a significance to this. It's a significance that we often overlook or I think we just brush aside and I think that's the life of the church. We get so focused on the fullness of all of the things that we're trying to live out and trying to do and having a right theology that we sort of forget to take in the reality of what we are we're espousing, what we're talking about. God is speaking to us. And he is speaking through Jesus. What strikes me about that is later in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus says this. He says, 
The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. And the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Out of the abundance of God's heart, we see Jesus. Jesus is the fullness of God's good and loving heart towards us. That's why he came. That's why he comes is so that we can experience, that we can know the Father's heart. That we can encounter his love for us. And so here in the life of Jesus, we see God speaking. It is his self-revelation to us. It is his manifestation to us. This word that he would speak, this word that would come and not just be declared over us, but this word that would come and dwell among us. John continues in his his gospel in, in verse nine, he says this, he says, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and through the world was made, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And he would continue, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son who is himself God and is in the closest relationship with God has made him known. Do you hear the truth that is being spoken through Jesus? The reason why Jesus comes is so that God would be made known. This means that God wants to be known by us. That God wants to be known by you. That he would send the fullness of who he is and the abundance of his heart so that you would know who he is. And if we want to know what God is like, then the word, Jesus, shows it by living it out among us. This is why Jesus came. I love how Eugene Peterson describes it. He describes it a little bit different. He says this, he says, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. We saw the glory with our own eyes, the one-of-a-kind glory, like father, like son. Generous inside and out, true from start to finish. I often get told I look a lot like my father. Our kids, there's no doubt that they are my children because they look a lot like me. Jesus comes and he is the perfect representation of his father. 
And his life was lived out in such a way that he was constantly pointing people back to his father. He was constantly saying, this is who my father is, and this is what he is like. Build your life around him. And so by looking at Jesus, we get front row seats to the glory of the Father. His hope and his love for us, his grace, his peace. We get to see who he is through Jesus. John then goes on to spend the next 20 chapters of his gospel showing us exactly how Jesus is pointing to God. He is very purposeful in the ways that he has set aside his gospel to say Jesus was constantly pointing us to the Father. He was revealing the Father's heart to us. And as part of the the life of Jesus that John records, he records seven signs and wonders that, that Jesus performs. And the seven signs that John records are this, Jesus changing water into wine. Jesus heals a young man. Jesus heals a paralytic. Jesus feeds 5,000. In John chapter 6, Jesus walks on water. In John 9, Jesus heals the blind man. And in John 11, Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. Near the very end of John's gospel, he actually finally comes around to giving us his purpose statement to why he wrote this for us. He's given us 20 chapters describing this is who Jesus is, this is what he is like, this is who the Father is. And then he begins to tell us, this is why I'm telling you all of these things. And so in John chapter 20, verse 30 and 31, John writes this. He says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. John would later write in in chapter 21, verse 25, he would say that Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. This is an astounding news. Like I, I can't fathom all of the things that Jesus must have done for that to be a true statement. And I believe it is true. That if we were to record all of the things that Jesus has done, we could not contain them within our libraries. And yet John goes back and he says, but these things that I have written... Out of all of the things that Jesus has done, the things that I have written are the things that I believe you need to hear. They are the things that will show you who Jesus is. They are the things that will reveal to you why you should believe in him. They are the things, they are the signs and the wonders that Jesus performed that will show the truth that he is the Messiah. He is the Son of God. He is, in fact, who he says he is. 
and that by believing we may have life. This word believing, we, we generally think about believing in the terms of knowledge. It's sort of the result of the age of enlightenment where we're able to rationalize and reason all things down to a form of knowledge. And so we, we sort of have turned this word that Jesus uses into this idea of knowledge. I believe because I know. And so we believe in things like Santa Claus or the Tooth Fairy at times, or at least our kids do, because that's all they know. We know about Mother Teresa, and therefore we believe that she existed and did great things. We've heard the voice of James Earl Jones, and so we believe that he was a true man, that he still is alive today. But when John is speaking of this word believe, the word he is using is the word postuo. It's a Greek word, and it's actually used 248 times in the New Testament. And almost all of the times it is, it is spoken either by Jesus or in response to Jesus. It was the same word that was used in John chapter 1, verse 12, where John wrote, Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave right to become children of God. For those who would have encountered Jesus, those who would have heard his words or, or watched as he performed these signs and these, these wonders, these miracles, to those who would have been reading John's gospel, his account of the life of Jesus, this word believed would have actually carried with it a sense of going all in. It was more of a, a complete life like investment. Much like we expect from athletes that are rising to the top of their fields who eat, sleep, and breathe the game. This is what we kind of anticipate when Jesus says, for those who believe. It wasn't just the idea of knowledge. It wasn't just that you knew about Jesus. To believe was to affect every area of your life. It was to affect the way you think, the way you speak, the way you act, even the things that you become passionate about. There's an author by the name of Dan Greider, and he puts it this way. He says, believing in Jesus requires much more than just clicking like on his Facebook page. We have sort of reduced our world to that, well, I like Jesus, therefore I believe in him, and that's all I have to do, right? But there is something so completely different about knowing about Jesus and knowing him experientially. Living in him. Believing in him. Going all in for him. John knew this firsthand. He has written his whole, he has lived his whole life having lived out the reality of who Jesus is. All of the other disciples knew this. They had given their lives fully and completely to following and to believing in him. Peter, James, and John, they left their fishing businesses. It's quite possible that they left their families. Levi left his position as a tax collector. 
As you read through the accounts of Jesus, you could consider the lives of Zacchaeus or Mary or Martha or even Lazarus. John himself was tortured and banished. And so as we read through the Scriptures, as we look at the lives of those who believed in Jesus, you see radical commitments of going all in. A complete surrender of giving their lives to Jesus. And as a result of going all in, they encountered this Jesus. They encountered the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who would point them to the Father who loves them, who would send His Spirit to live within us. Believing in Jesus has to be more than just performing a mental exercise. It's more than just acknowledging that He was a good person and a good teacher and sure He lived one time in life. It's more than just behavior modification. It's not about just living by a new moral code. The do's and the don'ts of Christianity. It's not even just showing up for church on Sunday and saying that's all there is to believing. Believing is radically surrendering surrendering all of your life to him. Going all in for Jesus. And the reality is is that believing in Jesus will change your life here on earth. And it will change your life for all of eternity. But as we go all in, as we allow God to move in every area of our lives, our thoughts, our words, our actions, our passions, we begin to see God not only transforming our lives, but those of the lives of those who are around us. Our families, our friends, our communities. The entire world around us has the ability to be transformed by those who would believe in Jesus. And so this is why John has recorded all of these signs and all of these wonders. This is why he is taking careful consideration as he has looked back as he has contemplated the life of Jesus and who he was and the things that he declared about himself, that he was, in fact, the declaration of who God is. And as he has reflected on those, he says, these are the things you need to know. Because these are the signs and the miracles that will help you to go all in. To believe in Jesus, that you may have life. Over this next, uh, I will say seven, but it could be longer than that. Over the next few weeks and, and months to come, we are actually going to begin to journey alongside with John. And we're going to look at the signs and the wonders that Jesus performed. Because if John believes that these are the things that you need to know, because they will take you to a place where you believe in Jesus and you have life in him, then there are the things that we as his followers, as those who who may declare that we follow Jesus, that we believe in him. Or those who are yet still on the fence, who maybe we have a knowledge about Jesus, but we have never gone all in. We need to pursue these things. We need to hear what what John has to say about who Jesus is. 
It is my desire that at the end of this series that you will be encouraged. I know some of you sitting in this room have already gone all in. You have believed in Jesus and he has radically transformed every area of your life. But my hope is that as we go through this, as we walk through the signs and the wonders that Jesus performed, as we see how John brings to life Jesus and the declaration of who God is, that we together will go deeper in our belief and our all-in for Jesus. And it is my hope that as we continue to press in, as we continue to move into this place of surrendering everything, all that we are, all that we can be, and all that we will be to Jesus, that we will begin to transform the world that we will begin to live the same way that Jesus did, which is to point people to the Father, to a God who loves them, who was so willing to send his Son. Out of the abundance of his love and who he is for us. My heart's prayer is that you would know the same God who loves you, who wants to radically transform you who wants to take you all in. Would you pray with me? Father, I come before you and I am humbled that you would even send your son Jesus. And yet I so often forget that when you sent Jesus, you were sending yourself. You were sending the fullness of who you are to us. That we could know you and that we could put our lives in your hands, that we could trust you, that we could surrender ourselves to you, and that by doing so, by believing in you, by giving us, you, all that we are, we would have life. And so, Father, my heart's prayer is that we would surrender all that we are, all that we have, all that we can be to you, and that we would believe in your name, and we give you honor and glory I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.